Hello again, my friends, and welcome to another weekly edition of the Royal Ramble. Can you believe that we are just a few weeks away from summer? It seems unreal, doesn't it? I mean, the weather here in Toronto has been scorching lately, so I hope you've all been enjoying it while it lasts. It's great for walking or even riding if you're one of those annoying cyclists. Oh, I'm kidding. I love them. But it's only going to get hotter in the wrestling world. Not only are we playing host to Forbidden Door later this month, which, by the way, will now feature Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay, as well as Danielson versus Okada. What a time to be alive. But not only that, we also have Money in the Bank at the O2 in London, All In in the same city at Wembley, Impact's 21st anniversary event, Slammiversary. I can't believe it's been 21 years, but good for them. And they've also recently announced ROH Supercard of Honor for July 21st. Oh yes, this is going to be an incredible summer. We're not even there yet, and the announcements just keep on coming. We started the week with some great news as Alexa Bliss announced that she and husband Ryan Cabrera are now expectant parents. I guess this would explain her absence from television, though I'm not quite certain if one has to do with the other. But good for them, and I extend my congratulations to the couple. And then we move on to some, well, other news. It could be great, I guess, depending on how you look at it. But Tony Khan made it official this week as he announced that the new show Collision will now feature the return of CM Punk. You know what? I'm kind of over it already. I think his better years are behind him. He is still a major draw, though, so I'm assuming that's why he's coming back. But I feel like he's his own biggest fan. Same with Tony Khan, actually. I can't stand seeing him on camera, and I don't care what the circumstances. WWE stars Emma and Riddick Moss also announced their engagement yesterday. And not to steal any thunder away from the happy couple, the participants for this year's G1 Climax were also announced last night. I haven't watched Dominion yet, by the way, so I'll probably go through my thoughts on the event next week. But this year's G1 will feature the following talent. Kazushika Okada, Tetsuya Naito, Sonata, Will Ospreay, Hiroshi Tanahashi, David Finley, Shota Umino, Shingo Takagi, Tomohiro Ishii, Tama Tonga, Tonga Loa, Hikaleo, Hiroki Goto, Yoshihashi, Toru Yano, Ugh, Kenta, Zack Sabre Jr., Taishi, Eddie Kingston, El Fantasmo, Rem Narita, Evil, Chase Owens, Jeff Cobb, Great O'Conn, Aaron Hanare, Gabriel Kidd, Alex Coughlin, Shane Haste, Mikey Nichols, Yota Suji, and Kaito Kiyomiya. It's going to be an incredible summer for sure. As much as I'd like to keep the momentum going and focus on the positives of the week, I also wanted to end this show on a high note, and I just can't do that by talking about AEW Double or Nothing. I personally hated it, but I know there are some of you guys who enjoyed it, and I'd love to hear your specific reasons, so please feel free to PM me on Facebook. But let's get into it. The event started with the Blackjack Battle Royal, which I'm already thinking should have been bumped to the buy-in or perhaps even given away for free on television. Let's face it, they give away most bigger matches. It was for the international title currently held by Orange Cassidy, and you know, for a guy with this lazy slot gimmick, he seems to be putting in a lot of hours these days. Kip Sabian immediately tried to dump out Cassidy, but his efforts were thwarted. For some reason, there were a bunch of guys brawling on the floor instead of getting into the ring. Maybe it's just me, but if I were in it, I'd probably want to actually win the title. And then that idiot commander goes and runs across the top cable to dive onto the pile at ringside, and the announcers excuse it, saying he's not eliminated because his feet technically never touched the ring canvas. I guess this is AEW's version of the WWE Battle Royal escape spots. 
For some reason, Swerve enters the match late and goes right after Keith Lee to renew their rivalry. Swerve's distraction allows Cage to dump out Lee from behind. It comes down to the final four of Swerve Strickland, Big Bill, Penta Oscura, and of course the champion Orange Cassidy. Bill lands a big boot and clotheslines Penta out, and then Swerve and Bill work together for a little while until Swerve pulls the double cross and eliminates Bill, so it's down to Swerve versus OC. Nana tries to get involved from the floor, but he's kicked away. They fight on the apron for a while, and OC just kind of kicks Swerve's hand that was on the rope, so he loses his balance and falls out, and to the surprise of no one, Orange Cassidy keeps the title. Chris Jericho versus Adam Cole is up next. This was one of the matches that I was most looking forward to, and I think most people would agree that it underdelivered. but part of that was because of what happened before the match. You had Sabu and Jericho throwing chairs at each other. You had each guy's corner men going at it on the floor. Cole actually set Menard and Parker on the table at ringside just so Sabu could do his spot. The match doesn't even start until all outside parties are finally ejected from ringside. Cole basically works over Jericho's arm in the early going, but Jericho manages to counter a Panama Sunrise attempt into a lion tamer. Cole reaches as far as he can to grab the fire extinguisher at ringside and blasts Jericho in the face to escape the submission. Britt Baker then comes out with a kendo stick, but Soraya follows and they go at it. Cole later hits a Panama Sunrise for a near fall and then just mounts Jericho for some ground and pound using a chain, and because there's little to no response from Jericho, the ref just calls the match. The tag titles were decided next with FTR defending against Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett. Jay Briscoe was the referee here. He catches Jeff Jarrett trying to use a chair and stops it. Briscoe later ejects both Sanjay and Sodnam from ringside for their involvement. Jarrett tries to use the guitar but accidentally nails Briscoe so there's no ref to make the count as FTR hits the shatter machine on Lethal. Lethal hits a double lethal injection on the champions, and then Jarrett uses the belt and hits the stroke just in time for Briscoe to re-enter the match and make the count, but it gets two. Jarrett gets in Briscoe's face, and they exchange punches, and then Jarrett walks right into a shatter machine, and the champs retain. Another extremely overbooked match, which seemed to be the theme of the show. Ricky starts his interview backstage, he talks about eliminating both members of Bullet Club, and then he's attacked by Jay White and Juice Robinson, who are then chased off by FTR. Chris Jericho and Soraya are in the parking garage, they yell about the outcome of the earlier match, and then challenge Cole and Britt to a mixed tag match on the following Dynamite. Security tries to eject them, but the poor guard ends up catching a Jericho fireball to the face. Wardlow versus Christian for the TNT title in the latter match, I was expecting a really good match here, and we kind of got one, but it was very overbooked as well. Wardlow executes a spinning military press slam, dropping Christian front first onto a ladder in the ring. He then tries for the senton off the ladder, which looked impressive, but he misses his mark. Arn Anderson then comes down to ringside. Luchasaurus tries to choke slam him, but Arn apparently bites a pound of flesh off the big guy's thumb and starts spitting out dinosaur blood. Wardlow then sets Lucha up on a table at ringside and hits a swanton off the ladder to put him through. Christian ascends the ladder in the ring, only for Arn to tip it over, and Christian falls into Wardlow, who drills him with a powerbomb, and then Wardlow climbs and retains his title. It seems like every match on the card thus far has had some kind of outside involvement. And it continues with the next match for the AEW women's title, with Jamie Hayter defending against Tony Storm. This could have been a really good match, which I also thought was ruined by overbooking. Hater doesn't come out initially, and then it's revealed that she was attacked in the back by the other two outcasts, so Soraya and Ruby drag her out, and the three heels work over her shoulder, all before the match even starts. 
Brit comes running out, as does Sheeta with a kendo stick to even the odds. Storm is sent into the exposed turnbuckle, and Hader manages to hit Haterade, but ends up doing further damage to her shoulder and is unable to make the pin right away. When she finally does, Storm kicks out. Hader is then sent into the buckle, and Storm connects with Storm Zero and wins the title. Even though I didn't care for the match, this is the outcome that I would have booked because I think it'll mean so much more for Hader to win the belt back at All In rather than just retain it. There's kind of a break in the action as Renee Young and RJ City talk about DraftKings, and then we go into the match for the trios titles with House of Black defending against the acclaimed and Billy Gunn. Caster has one line about Dominic Mysterio and Rhea Ripley, obviously directed at Buddy. I knew this was coming at some point, and the crowd loved it. Bowens is isolated in the heel corner for a bit as they work over his knee. Billy eventually gets the hot tag. He hits the Famouser on Brody, but doesn't realize that Brody isn't the legal man, and Black hits the end, which is basically Black Mass, for the win. This was probably the best match of the night thus far. Taya Valkyrie vs. Jade Cargill was next for the TBS title. Taya almost immediately takes out Sterling and plants Jade with the road to Valhalla, but Jade kicks out. After a bit of a distraction, Jade comes back and hits Jaded to surprisingly keep her title. I'm not quite sure what to do with Taya now, but I guess they'll figure it out. Maybe she can join the outcast. Sterling gets on the mic and says there's nobody left, and then Chris Statlander makes her return and accepts what is apparently an open challenge. She blocks Jaded and then hits Sunday Night Fever to claim the title, and thus the streak is over. Honestly, I hated this. I think the person to beat Jade should have been from outside the promotion because I'm pretty sure that Jade has already beaten Statlander. And even still, what kind of victory is it for a babyface to go over a heel who's already had a grueling match? That doesn't make any sense to me. The Pillars 4-Way is second from the top for the AEW World Heavyweight title. The fact that this isn't the main event should speak volumes about the position of some of these guys on the roster, and it does no favors for MJF either. This could have been a much better story than Anarchy in the Arena, and I think it was a much better match. Everyone kind of works together against MJF in the early going. Sammy hits a shooting star press to all of the guys on the floor, which looked really good. There was a crazy Tower of Doom spot where Jungle Boy German suplexes Sammy from the top rope, who also hits a superplex on Darby, and Darby hits MJF on the way down. The one part of the match I didn't quite enjoy is midway through when Darby and Jungle Boy are out on the floor, MJF grabs a microphone to try to convince Sammy to lay down for him, as he and his wife Ty now have a baby on the way, which I forgot to mention was brought up during their entrance. So Sammy reluctantly agrees, only to sucker MJF into a pinning combination, MJF manages to kick out. There was another great spot where all four had each other tied up in submissions. MJF tries to nail Darby with the ring, but Darby ends up corking him with the skateboard and then utilizes a side headlock takedown, throwback to their previous match, to try and pin the champion, but Jungle Boy ends up breaking it up. Perry then grabs the belt and contemplates using it on Darby, but eventually tosses it away. Darby then gets the advantage. He hits the coffin drop on Jungle Boy, but MJF slides the belt in the rings right under him, so Darby lands on it, and then MJF races to the ring and pins Darby using a side headlock. This was match of the night for sure. The Anarchy in the Arena match closes the show. It features the Blackpool Combat Club against the Elite with Don Callis on commentary. They fight in the crowd for the most part, and the entrance music is still on full blast, and I actually thought it was going to continue for the remainder of the match, but they eventually turn it off. To no surprise, Mox does color very early. Matt Jackson delivers his rolling Northern Lights suplexes to Yuta all the way down the entrance ramp. 
Hangman loses his eye patch at one point and drills Yuta with the buckshot lariat, but Yuta surprisingly kicks out. I'm not actually sure if he was supposed to kick out, though it looks like someone was supposed to break up the pin but was late. The heels put a bunch of tacks in Matt Jackson's mouth and then Claudio nails him with an uppercut. They really need to think about banning this type of move, it seems very dangerous. Omega plants Danielson with the one-winged angel, but Yuta breaks the pin. Callus then gets up from the booth and passes in a screwdriver to Yuta, who nails Hangman. Takeshita then enters the ring. He grabs hold of the screwdriver and corks Omega, turning heel, which opens the door for an elite victory. This match was fun, but it seemed like they were focused more on advancing to the new story rather than concluding this one. But we may have got more of a conclusion at Sunday's Battleground event. That one was put on by the NXT brand and went head-to-head -head with AEW. I actually think it was the show of the weekend, but maybe not a very popular opinion. It started with a triple threat for the NXT North American title with Joe Gacy and Tyler Bate challenging Wes Lee. Actually, before I get to that, I must mention this. There was a very old-school opening, kind of reminiscent of some of those 90s in-your-house pay-per-views. So anyway, the match started with Gacy basically trying to play one guy against the other and trying to manipulate. It worked for a short time as Lee and Bate were fighting on the floor and then Gacy hit a tope to both guys. There was an impressive feat of strength where Bate had Gacy on his shoulders and executed both an airplane spin to Gacy while also doing a giant swing to Lee simultaneously. He couldn't get that much momentum with all the weight, but still very impressive. The crowd started chanting, this is awesome, which I felt was a bit premature as it wasn't my favorite match of the night, but it had its moments. Both Gacy and Bate tried handspring attacks on opposite sides of the ring with Lee caught in the middle. But Lee managed to avoid contact and both opponents just kind of collided with each other, kind of like a Looney Tunes bit. Lee then hit a double cardiac kick to both guys out of the corner, but each challenger kicked out of the attempted pin. Bate impressively got Gacy up for the Tyler Driver 97, but then Lee hit a running Meteora to Bate right out of the pin into his own pinning combination, but Bate kicked out. Gacy then went for his finisher, which I still think is the dumbest one in wrestling, and then Lee met him head-on with another cardiac kick to finally get the win and keep his belt. Carmelo Hayes, accompanied by Trick Williams and Braun Breaker, are each shown arriving to the building at different intervals. The next match was for the Heritage Cup, with Noam Dar defending against Dragon Lee. Basically, you're looking to pick up as many points via falls in this, I guess, five-round contest. Nathan Frazier corners Lee while Oro Mensa does likewise for Dar, and I'm still confused as to when Mensa turned heel, but whatever. Dar steals the first fall with a unique pinning combination. Lee then delivers an amazing-looking high jump, clearing the top rope, and finishes with a Hurricane Rana to Dar off the ring apron. At the end of round three, Dar takes a cheap shot from behind. Lee applies the Texas Cloverleaf, but Mensa pushes the bottom rope toward Dar, allowing him to get the break. Mensa then attacks Frazier on the floor. Back in the ring, Lee finally evens the score with a tilt-a-whirl into a pin. He tries that high-jump Rana again, but this time loses his footing and takes a bad landing on the floor. Chikara Jackson then comes out, as well as Lash Legend. While Jackson distracts the ref, Legend attacks Lee with the trainer's bucket, allowing Dar to get the final pin to keep the cup. And this is apparently a new faction now with Dar, Mensa, Jackson, and Legend. I really like Dragon Lee, but they really need to give him some solid wins. The last man standing match was up next between Dijak and Ilya Dragunov, and I think this is where the show started to get a whole lot better. I've never been a fan of Dijak, but it seems like this guy is consistently having match of the night, with this one being no exception. These guys beat the hell out of each other, and I love how Dragunov always uses his entire body as a weapon. 
He really looks like he goes through a war in every match, and in most cases he really does. At ringside, as Dijak sets up a table, Dragunov just launches his own body right through the table into Dijak. There was a coast-to-coast -coast spot later on with Dragunov kicking the steel steps into Dijak's face. Dijak then stakes Dragunov in the corner and unloads on him with kendo stick shots to the ribs, breaking the stick in the process, and I love that the announcers were completely silent during this spot. The end comes with Dijak struggling to his knees from his stomach, only for Dragunov to fly off the steps in the ring and deliver a forearm shot to the back of Dijak's neck, dropping him face first into a chair, and that was all she wrote. This match was fantastic. The next NXT special was announced as the Great American Bash will take place on July 30th, a week before SummerSlam. The NXT tag titles were on the line next as the Creed brothers challenged Gallus. Brutus was isolated for much of the match. Julius finally got a hot tag and started building momentum with a series of nip-ups and belly-to-belly -belly suplexes. He hit about 10 of these in a row, which really got the crowd fired up. I mentioned in the Facebook group, this guy is going to be a huge star. Ava Rain of Schism eventually makes her way out. She shoves Ivy into the ring post, which distracts Julius, allowing Gallus to hit their finisher and keep the belts. I like this match, but not a fan of where Diamond Mine seems to be headed. The tournament finals were next to crown a new NXT Women's Champion to be decided between Lyra Valkyria and Tiffany Stratton. It definitely feels good to see some fresh blood in the top mix in the women's division lately. Lyra lands awkwardly after a leapfrog spot and seems to have tweaked her knee or ankle. It wasn't as bad as Shane McMahon, though, and she recovered pretty quickly. Tiffany goes after the knee for most of the match. She misses the moonsault, allowing Valkyria to hit a spin kick, but Tiffany reaches the ropes. Tiffany comes back with a hurricane run out of the corner, followed by a steamroller and then the best moonsault ever for the win, and Tiffany Stratton is the NXT Women's Champion, which I honestly think was the right call. She could be the new Mandy Rose with proper booking. She's already much better in the ring than Mandy ever was, and now she just needs to further develop her character. The NXT title match between Carmelo Hayes and Braun Breaker is the main event. Breaker comes out wearing a dog snout face mask, similar to the one Mustafa Ali used to wear when he was actually relevant, but it looked pretty cool. There was a scary spot where Hayes tried a suicide dive and almost landed on his head, but I think Breaker needs to be credited for the save there. Breaker scales the ropes to deliver a top rope Frankensteiner to Hayes for a near fall. Hayes comes back and tries nothing but net, only for Breaker to move. Hayes manages to roll through, and Breaker tries for a spear, but Hayes dodges him, and he goes shoulder first into the post. Hayes then hits a springboard backwards into a DDT, and then finally hits nothing but net to surprisingly keep his title. I'm assuming this means Breaker will get called up, but I'd rather see him further develop his heel persona in NXT. So that'll do it for another week. I'll be back next week to talk about the New Japan Dominion show and some of the other major events. Until then, I leave you with an ABC-ya.